Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 73 of the Citrix Session. I'm your host, Andy Whiteside. Today, it's uh, just me and Kevin. Kevin Ardone, how's it going? It's going pretty good, Andy. Thanks for having me, as always. Always uh, always fun to talk technology. I think this is, uh, I think you were saying, number five or six, uh, five or fifth or sixth time we've had you on? Yeah, this will be like the fourth one for Azure, but I think we've hit on other, probably, probably mostly Citrix and Azure-related topics in the past, but uh looking forward to finishing up, you know, some of the conversations we've had around uh, enterprise scale landing zones. So I think this will be the fourth one for that. And I even go back to the first one we did and share that sometimes with people that talked about the, you know, the technology benefits of having, of having uh, Microsoft um, Azure front-ended by Citrix, um, Citrix cloud, Citrix virtual app and desktop service. I still use it. So that's good. Still value. Perfect. Yeah. Hopefully a lot of it's still relevant, which I think it very much is. Uh, the technology keeps changing uh, every every month, at least for the better in terms of more widgets and features and performance. But the core, core value is going to be there for a long time. So, Kevin, before we jump into this, uh, number one, I noticed there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of degrees on your wall. What's what's going on? <laughs> I think um, uh, so my wife, Kristen, and I, when we uh moved to San Antonio, we uh, like had like our degrees in a <laughs> rolled up in like uh, pieces of paper, like in a, a cardboard tube. And we're like, should we take these out and put them somewhere? And I think yeah. for me, the, my office was the only place that really made sense. We got them framed and then we're like, ah, do we really want to hang these up? <laughs> um, only place that made sense though. Definitely don't want to put in like the foyer of your house or something like that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this is a house of learned doctors, right? <laughs> Well, speaking of accomplishments, uh, you just got a new role. What's uh, what's your new role at Citrix? Andy, thank you. Yeah, I am. I am now the uh, director of uh, customer success for America's enterprise architecture team. Uh, So really, this team, our team's focused on kind of helping customers align people, process, and technology when it comes to helping them achieve their desired business outcomes, particularly using Citrix or at least understanding the ecosystem, like things like Microsoft. GCP, Azure, IGEL, you know, Nutanix, the underlying storage and just security drivers. How can we kind of leverage our technology to drive towards that business outcome? So it's a good mix of a team. Uh, I'm very honored and, and fortunate to kind of have a, a great team beside me from you know Canada down through Latin America. No, it's exciting stuff. And and what you're working on is probably core to you know the future of Citrix, right? How it integrates with those other technologies and adds value along the way. Exactly. And like, especially when it comes to like helping customers adopt and get mo- the most out of what, you know, their investment, what they're trying to intend it for and, you know, create a good user experience in the process. Yeah. Kind of, kind of been the Citrix story all along, find other technologies and make them better. Uh, it's kind of what Citrix has done. Almost- Citrix is a platform, I think is what I like to start highlighting to, you know, customers like Citrix is a platform for like app migration. So like going to Azure, Citrix is a platform for driving new workflows, especially when you think of things like micro apps. Citrix is a platform for, you know, partners such as yourselves when it comes to, you know, sitting down with the businesses you work with, you know, day in, day out, helping them accomplish their needs. So I think we've evolved a lot as a company, especially when it comes to like virtual app and desktop and like what we've done with Rike uh, to really be more of like a platform that kind of hooks in a ton of different solutions. So good to like learn a lot more. I'm pretty excited as a technologist to really kind of be forced to learn outside of our ecosystem, especially like, you know, all the stuff I've done with Azure and Microsoft, but I think even more opportunity is going to be coming, you know, down the pipe, especially when it comes to learning more about some of the micro apps as that continues to gain uh, momentum with like Workday Concur. 
So would it be uh, fair to say that Citrix is a platform that enables other platforms? Yeah, you would say so. Yeah, enables other platforms from an IT standpoint, and enables people to work from those platforms exactly. And on the Azure side, especially when you know some of the previous uh, webinars we had around uh, rationalization of digital estate of your Azure uh, Azure infrastructure as you move from on-prem to the cloud, enabling that transition. For example, if you're refactoring an app, you know, and need to shift it towards Azure, but then the front end, you don't want to completely segment out the user experience from it. You want to have it be consistent regardless of what you're doing on the back end from a technology standpoint, yeah. uh, using Citrix as a platform to facilitate that migration um, becomes very much a reality, especially with our agnostic approach to infrastructure. Well, let's, let's cover part four here. Um, so the title of this is uh, Citrix Tips. Uh, this is your tip series, Citrix on Azure, Enterprise Scale, Landing Zones, part four. I guess we should probably just do a quick recap. It's been a while of part one, yeah, three. It, it has, I think uh, holidays and uh, kicking off the year and everything. I know a couple months back we hit uh, by the first part and the second part and third, but like thinking of the series overall, what the overall intent was, especially with like, you know, Microsoft's cloud adoption framework and their strategy to getting customers to successfully adopt Azure. There's a lot of great synergies, especially thinking of Citrix, oftentimes being the first major app thinking of like Citrix as an app, SAP as an app, any core system as an app with Microsoft being the platform to facilitate that transition. So like thinking of that adoption framework and that journey, there's a lot of great information around uh, an enterprise scale landing zone. What does it look like to modularly design Azure, especially in the approach of like helping your business scale and get the most value out of it? So from a Citrix perspective, like using that framework and that methodology, a lot of great learnings to help customers leverage you know, Citrix as part of their own Azure project, or if you're a part of a Citrix team, help you better understand how to speak the language of your platform team that you may be collaborating with by being the first VDI deployment, say for contractors or an app migration as you're potentially maybe retiring an app within your data center and refactoring it and spinning it up in, uh, in Azure. So really the goal is to walk through that methodology Talk about the design principles that you know Microsoft is encouraging people focus on leverage for Azure and bring it towards a Citrix context. The yeah. second and third part really get into a lot of the critical design areas. So, like, what are the key concepts that are part of that methodology and uh, network and management monitoring? Uh, very you know meaty topics in terms of um, what's needed, what's you know what's there to kind of drive success. So instead of kind of covering that early or like in a, as a small piece within like one of the previous parts, like as I was putting the series together, I felt like it was necessary to pull those two topics out, cover them a little bit out of order and be, be able to just kind of double click into what they meant and their impact on, you know, a Citrix project. Right. Well, let's, let's jump in because you've got a massive amount of content here in this particular blog, which I think you did in the other ones as well. Uh, yeah. Where, where do we I think start? I'll have to, eventually merge them all together into like tech zone or something. But yeah, let's, uh, we can probably start in the way I did the network one rather than focusing on, cause especially like thinking of the links and like planning a virtual network, Microsoft has a lot of great content, uh, especially when it comes to core network design. So what I really focused on, especially when it comes to the impact on Citrix, the varying maturity of a customer's like uh, Azure maturity network design, you know, how far along are they in the process? can have a varying impact based on like where you are in your Citrix project. So like taking that, you know, wide range of customer readiness or like your own organizational readiness when it comes to Azure, I wanted to bring 
uh, where, what you need to understand and what some of the risks may be on a Citrix project and good questions to ask uh, your overarching platform team, especially if going in this direction. Well, let's, let's do that. Let's go through the questions here. Is that, is that the best way you think to handle it? Yeah, I would think so. And then we can have a great conversation because I'm sure you're getting a lot of these questions too, Andy, especially as you kind of work with, you know, Citrix and a lot of the you know underlying technologies in our ecosystem, as well as some of our partners. Yeah. Well, the first one says, have requirements and standards been defined for a cloud virtual network? <laughs> I can only imagine the answer is almost always no. Um, but <laughs> you're saying they should be because it's not quite the same as your local networks and WANs have been all this time. Exactly. And especially when it comes to like, you know, hey, you might have physical networking appliances like firewalls, proxies, et cetera. Like how do you transition that into like a public cloud based on, you know, Palo Alto, you know, Blue Coat or like whatever their best practices would be. So thinking of like and where this question is typically asked and the answer is typically no, is if a customer is like on the very initial landing point of like an Azure journey. So, for example, they have no Azure footprint whatsoever. Or maybe they're a service provider and like, you know what, I'm going to start this business and I want to leverage Citrix as my app and desktop delivery platform and Azure as my infrastructure, or maybe even create a new division, for example, with my existing um, on-prem for like, hey, I'm just going to start doing, you know, Epic Community Connect and start hosting Epic for, you know, underlying uh, hospitals or things along those lines. I want to start it fresh or I'm a ISP, like a... ISV and I want to deliver an application using Citrix and Azure. So like going through and understanding, like from a Citrix standpoint, the network design and the cloud virtual network is a key prereq. So really the main piece here is like, if there is nothing here or like Citrix is the first major workload, that's going to start driving those conversations around like, wait a second, like how do we even do a cloud virtual network? It's something that you want to make sure like scope is scoped into your project. So whether it be, you know, sitting down with your leadership, if um, you're building that project plan, hey, we're going to, we need uh, VDI for third-party access. We're going to remove a VPN, for example. You want to sit down with your leadership and say like, hey, this is a key prereq. We want to make sure we work with our networking team, work with our platform team, follow a lot of the key guidance that Microsoft has around network design and ensure that we're like designing our network in a way that can be scalable. Because things like how ingress and egress traffic flows from your data center to Azure, from Azure to the internet, it's going to impact Citrix performance, Office 365 performance, other underlying application or like data transfers between the two. And then also ensuring that your firewalls, if you move from, say, for example, physical to virtual scaled properly, is also going to impact things like availability or scalability if you're not designing properly. So this is really the biggest theme here with this question is this. If the answer is no, I have nothing, it's like, let's pause and let's make sure we do it right before like pushing something out. And like, really, you're only in a good state for maybe a, a POC, um, just to like, hey, does this make sense versus anything from like a production readiness standpoint? I guess the good news is, so so sit, the networking element has always been important in a Citrix project. I guess the good news is if, if this is the beginning of all of it in your uh, Azure build out, then you got a chance to kind of tailor it to the Citrix environment and you don't have to fight legacy at the same time, what you're saying here, exactly, it's it's a very uh, somewhat complex world when you talk about a uh, virtual app, virtual desktop, aka Citrix implementation, because a lot of stuff has to talk to a lot of different stuff. Exactly, your experience to be to be functional and and optimal. Yeah. So, for example, like I, you know, and this is maybe this gets even a little bit further down into like some of the questions. Um, 
around like connectivity. Like I've seen some customers build it from scratch and then thinking of, you know, hey, I'm going to run my app in Azure. But then like next thing you know, the way you're doing your ingress and egress, it's coming out of the data center. So like you're running Teams on a desktop in Azure, but then that Teams is reaching out through your express route out through your internet proxy and then back into Azure and like, wait a second, performance is bad. Like, why is this bad? It's like, well, like we got to talk through and maybe optimize this a little bit, but that jumps, jumps ahead to one of the questions. Yeah. Well, the example, I, I don't know, I was watching house hunters with my wife the other night and to get that this house had a basement. Um, but to get to it, they went outside and around the back of the house and back into the other side of the house. It's like, okay, does that make any sense at all? And the truth is, at some point in all that, they had, they had blocked off the stairs in the house to create a like an apartment downstairs. Um, you know, they 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 had created that route unintentionally, uh, and now they were trying to sell the house with that piece of uh, weirdness to it. <laughs> you just you know, like I, I, hopefully, I guess maybe eventually behind one of these degrees, I can make like a, a secret door or something like that when I pull it down, and it can like open into a, a courtyard or something. <laughs> Yeah, it's like kind of having a like a mystery room or just yeah, like an awkward setup. So yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> I would see how that'd be a hard thing to uh, talk through if you're like a real estate agent. Right. Well, they'd been better off just fixing that before they try to sell the house. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right. So, uh, is connectivity available between Azure and your on-premises data center? That's that's an obvious one, but talk us through that. Yeah. So thinking, and this kind of gets into like, okay, I've I've established like some form of like core. My Azure Essentials, like a, a core virtual network um, and like my initial landing zone. And Microsoft, actually, if you go to um, just in the above section, especially through the cloud adoption framework, they have a lot of like GitHub templates and like things that can help you with core Azure foundations, much of which is like a, the network and how you then would connect that into your data center. But then thinking of like scale when it comes to that network connectivity, um, I've seen with you know some ed, you know education organizations they might just have like a site to site VPN which is just going through you know IPsec from like a you know networking appliance into Azure for instance and going over the public internet versus an express route where you might work with like an ISP for more of a public I mean a private connection that can also scale and drive better performance so thinking of like building off that core foundation it then gets into like how much do we need to scale into Azure? Um, so if it's, say, I have a couple hundred users, I don't want to handle the cost of an express route. I can use some of their more premium site-to-site -site VPNs that have like SLAs associated with it, better performance. And I'm okay that it's going across you know, the public internet via IPsec because I'm a smaller organization. This is easier for me to get started. Uh, this degree of scale, especially when it comes to the data transitioning from Azure into your data center, whether it be apps, backends, you know, backups, Citrix traffic. Again, thinking about how you're doing your ingress and egress out of Azure from like a Netscaler design standpoint, uh, that can affect how much you can grow, and that can also affect your performance because there is going to be more latency when you use a site-to-site -site VPN versus Express Route. For sure, yeah. So, you know, what's the impact on the project? I, I think you've covered that. If not, let's keep going. But and what should you do? I, I think we've covered that as well, but the, let's make sure. Yeah. So the biggest thing, the impact, this is like another key prerequisite. And I think Andy, you hit on this really, really good, really well earlier is like, especially like a virtual app or a virtual desktop, there's going to be a lot of things that it's communicating with, you know, backend profile data, uh, existing data backends. Like if you have your desktop in Azure, all the apps that people might have in that desktop might have backends that are still on-prem. 
So suddenly, you know, if you're using that connectivity and it's a site-to-site VPN and the latency is higher and you're kind of hitting the threshold where it just can't perform what people need, or if that connection is not there, like you can't connect it to your domain or um, connect with any of the key resources uh, that your use case requires, it might be a hard stop on the project until, hey, we got to figure this out. Um, Or at least when it comes to scale, hey, we can do a POC, we can do a little bit of a pilot, but before we can go to our thousand, two thousand users, uh, or you know, a couple hundred users, we really should talk about doing an express route. So we have more of a private connection from a security standpoint, and more of a performant connection from like a higher bandwidth capabilities and better latency. Kevin, express route would be valuable for when you're in your Azure desktop talking to on-premises apps and services and and uh, data. That's one exactly. Element. And then what about the uh, users from, say, a thin client trying to connect into the VDA? It's valuable in that direction as well. Yeah. And so thinking if like I'm in my data center that has that express route connection, you know, I'm good. The latency, especially when it's a private connection, you're not going over the Internet, also tends to be a lot lower, especially depending on where your office point of presence, et cetera, is connecting to Azure. And there are a lot of things like Microsoft can do as well. And especially when you think of like Citrix for uh, SD-WAN and Azure Virtual WAN, like for example, if you're in that, you know, branch office, like with your iGel, you could also have like an SD-WAN that aggregates site-to-site VPN and aggregates the express route, one for resiliency and additional performance, but then two to kind of also drive connectivity from a bandwidth optimization perspective from your branch office into Azure using Azure Virtual WAN. So even on like the Citrix networking standpoint, when it comes to, I, I would say I, I, I'm a networking expert light. I would say most of my experience is more like the workspace side. I can kind of cover the breadth of the solutions, but when it comes to also like driving some of this story, and I wish I covered this a little bit more on this blog, when it comes to like creating that perimeter network and driving some of that direct connection as it's in planning, that's where Azure as Citrix SD-WAN and Azure Virtual WAN can also come in play, especially when it comes to the partnership with Citrix and Microsoft. So, so you can have your express route, you can have your generic network connections, SD-WAN can, can leverage the express route and the generic connections and allow you to get the best out of both without having to overspend on the express route. Exactly, you can aggregate bandwidth, uh, resiliency is big. So especially if like the, that express route, is gonna become a critical connection, right? So thinking of like your IGEL, scenario. I have an iGel in my branch office. I have an iGel in my corporate headquarters. If I can't get into Azure where my desktop is, I'm down. Like that is a full outage. Like that's, that's a networking pipe that's no longer there. So there is also the resiliency benefits um, that comes to that too. Your, uh, your next question here says, what is the design for the perimeter network? What is this question? about yeah so like thinking of like kind of building out that story right i have my core foundation maybe i don't have a dmz yet i'm not doing any internet ingress and egress from the internet into azure i have my connection and now it's like okay are we going to have an azure based dmz is there going to be a way where we take uh, you know internet connections and, and insert them securely within our azure infrastructure oftentimes that might not be the case out of the gate so like going back to that team scenario i mentioned they didn't have a perimeter network so that means any internet traffic like your citrix cloud connectors gateway service um, or like things like office 365 or any other internet dependent applications 
they were reaching out all the way back through their express route out, out of their internet proxy and then back from the internet back into their data center. So it was adding like a lot of latency, which then cascades down into performance impacts, user experience, et cetera. So a lot of this also deals with, again, scale. It deals with uh, user experience. And typically, as a customer evolves in their Azure journey, not something that's required out of the gate, but something that should be planned for, especially when it comes to scaling out and then also providing an optimal experience, especially when it comes to like internet-dependent apps like Office 365. Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, I'm looking through the blog here. I'm trying to figure out where to go from here. Did... Yeah, there's a, there's a lot to it. Uh, we could probably jump into like the next section gets into uh, like NSGs and like a little bit more network design stuff. But I think it would be good to talk through some of the monitoring items as well. And I know in like some of the other sections, we've talked about things like tiered services and, and things along those lines. But when it comes to like at least designing the Citrix network, uh, one of the things I want to kind of give information on is like that does have a, a downstream impact in terms of how you manage a Citrix workload, especially based on how you set up your network segmentation from like an Azure subnet standpoint. So thinking of like, again, building through those questions of like, what are my standards? Like, how are we going to do our network design? What are we going to set up? Next thing that really gets into, you know, on the Citrix landing zone specifically is how are you going to segment it out? And segmentation is important because that's also how you apply things like network security groups. Uh, oftentimes, it's also you apply, how you apply routing if you want to route, do different routing from one subnet to another. So thinking of um, with the way you approach that to Citrix, oftentimes customers might segment their networks based on workload type. So for example, I have two subscriptions, one for single session VDAs, one for multi-session VDAs. Since they're separate subscriptions, I might have two different networks. So that means I'm, I'm segmenting them out regardless. But if I'm doing a single subscription, I might want to say like these multi-session workloads, they communicate with different types of apps, or maybe I'm doing like a, a multi-tenant model, which kind of gets into like segmenting by tenant business unit. I want to like isolate the traffic entirely. So thinking and knowing that the use cases, especially when you have multi-session and single session could vary differently and they can also scale differently, right? Like a thousand users in single session VDI is gonna take up way more IPs because you have a, need a thousand machines versus a thousand users or a couple hundred users in a shared environment. So you also get into like scaling and having to provision out machines. You don't want success in the multi-session realm to force you to create a new subnet for your single session VDI, which can then also impact your machine catalogs. You got to think about all this stuff in advance, and and as I've you know, been training and learning a little bit on, around Azure, it's it becomes obvious that it's very segmentable, and I guess that's a good thing. It's also a little uh, daunting as well. Yeah, you can, and that's it's the one one thing Microsoft does really well, especially. And I think one of the links I added in the blog goes to like planning a virtual network and like what do they recommend from like a subnetting standpoint. One of the key recommendations is like don't like over segment, right? Cause it kind of hits like you hit the nail on the head. It could get overly complicated. It can add like way more overhead for not a lot of value. Um, one of my customers like fell into that, that category where they just over segmented their subnets and they had it where like one business group would request like a hundred desktops, but then suddenly since they had really small subnets it would fill that subnet up. And then another business group who was like sharing some machines in that subnet would be like, hey, I need a couple more VMs. 
And then since you can only really apply like a single subnet to a single virtual NIC, like in a machine catalog and the Citrix side, since we're, we have a pretty much a base provisioning template, right. um, they had to suddenly create multiple catalogs for that one business unit because they, they, they consumed all the IPs in that subnet and they just split it out. So effectively, like they had a catalog, say it's, you know, I'm HR, I have a catalog with three VMs and then a catalog with like 150. So it's like you're updating these machines and then like, oh, wait a second, we got to update the three because we like split it out from a network perspective. It ended up creating a lot of complexity for not a lot of value. And Microsoft has a lot of capabilities, especially around like application security groups. If you need to diversify what machines can talk to what within the same subnet, you can apply a network, an application security group or like worst case scenario, apply network security groups to the underlying NICs rather than at the subnet level. But there's a lot of ways to diversify like security on the network side within Microsoft using some of their native tools. Right. Yeah, I'm just having flashbacks to my very first uh, corporate IT job and trying to figure out how we were gonna subnet everything out so that we had Plenty of IPs, but we had enough segmentation to uh, do what we needed to do then, which was 20, 30 years ago, uh, and into the future. Yeah, it can be it could be a daunting planning task, that's for sure. And you don't want to like, hey, we're gonna give this one group like all this IP, and it's like, wait a second, what if they don't use it? We can like use these IPs somewhere else. And I think where the segmentation, especially you know, Andy, I know Zintegra, you all have hosting services, you know, a lot of like multi-tenanted, you know, organizations use like cloud to drive services. Segmenting by tenant is also pretty common. So for example, if you're doing like a multi-tenanted Citrix environment, you might say, okay, I'm going to set up a contract. And, you know, if you're in our like, you know, small and medium business package, like we're going to give you this like network that's, you know, slash 24, and we're going to put you within this subnet and block it off. So like no other tenants can talk to you. A segmentation by tenant, especially in like a service provider architecture, happens to be pretty common where you'd have like a management network, but then like an application network, which would be isolated each individual tenant based on like what their needs are. Yeah. Yeah. That, that makes a lot of sense. And then the question is, do you segment it lower, you know, more than that, for different needs within a single tenant? And that's where it gets. Yeah. Then it could, yeah. <laughs> then like, yeah, you might as well do like individual subscriptions and virtual networks, like at that point, if it has to go that deep. And that's kind of where you can always tier your services, right? Like, hey, if you're looking at doing like a multi-segmentation higher security, it's going to be, you know, 11, like, you know, X dollars per month versus if you need something just like the basic package, like it's going to be Y dollars. You can always like price in that complexity from like an offering and packaging standpoint. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's uh, again, like planning. There's a lot of planning here on the networking side and like doing it right prevents like a lot of pain downstream. And again, this is also why separating it out into its own blog compared to some of the other topics um, is what, you know, what made the most sense when I started putting this together. Well, the other part of this blog is uh, management and monitoring. Let's, let's try to cover that in the time we have left. Um, what, what's, why, why, why did you pull this one out into its own section of at least this, uh, this extra blog or this additional blog? So thinking of like, I mean, especially like once you, you finish the network, you're up and running on Azure and like, I really wanted, I didn't want to, so like if thinking of like the other parts too, like they're already fairly long and like management monitoring, especially with some of the things you can do with like log analytics and like Azure monitor um, when it comes to like opt you know, adding more windows specific 
monitoring to kind of accommodate what you get from like a performance monitoring within things like Citrix Analytics as well as a Citrix Director. I felt like it made sense to cover some of these topics because especially if you know customers like getting started with Azure, hey, I want to use native Citrix and native Microsoft tools. It made sense to like kind of go into log analytics and go into Azure Monitor a little bit more detail, especially when it comes to driving things like burstable compute and like using uh, Azure Monitor to like alert against CPU credits, you know, drive down the overall arching cost of your VMs and do it in a way that's like safe using some of the native tools. It creates like a great synergy between delivering like Citrix VDI on Azure efficiently, but then also mitigating risk with like a comprehensive monitoring plan. So this is more of, you know, monitoring is complex. There's a lot of great solutions out there, like um, in, the, in the marketplace above and beyond Citrix and like some of our partners. But, you know, it's good to like let people know that, hey, there's like a lot of key things within Azure as well, especially if you're starting from scratch or, you know, kind of, I'm using performance monitor with Microsoft. I'm in a small business. You know, what else do I get when I look towards Azure? What can I take advantage of? I want to bring the attention to some of those tools. Yeah. Well, let's, let's do that. Is there... Uh... Uh, well, here's yeah. some individual pre-built queries. Is that where we want to go next? Yeah. So like the first thing I kind of walk through here is like just giving an example and especially thinking of, um, again, like things above and beyond um, from like what's natively in like something like Citrix Director, right? Um, we're, you know, Citrix Director, we're kind of looking at, you know, certain performance metrics within the VDA, things along those lines, but we're not tracking like the availability of like a VM on like how it's responding at like a platform level with Microsoft, right? So you can use things like uh, um, log, log analytics, for example, to track the availability of like your, you know, core infrastructure VMs like on Azure, Citrix or otherwise, and use it to create a dashboard. Uh, VMs that are reporting a heartbeat, like, hey, this has been my uptimes of these key resources. Oh, and by the way, there are a couple key virtual machines that aren't reporting there might be down. Like, let's like take a look and see what those are. You can also gather information and summarize, you know, VMs based on CPU utilization. Um, so thinking of like infrastructure CPU utilization, which isn't covered in director, I want to know if my infrastructure is, you know, maybe my ADCs are consuming a ton of CPU or my cloud connectors. You know, I went into localhost cache mode and my CPU went through the roof and I need to maybe adjust the sizing because I didn't uh, allocate enough CPU for that. Uh, that resiliency. So I gave a couple examples in, in here of like other uh, built-in queries you can pull from log analytics that could supplement, you know, some existing Citrix monitoring. So that way, again, you can leverage some of the native tools within Citrix cloud, but also within Azure to get a more holistic approach. Like one example is like missing security or critical updates. Hey, I want to make sure my windows patches are up to date. Let me alert and see, you know, I want to see if some of my Citrix machines might be missing a critical patch. Maybe someone hasn't done their patch Tuesday update on the core image yet. Like, let's kind of throw that into a dashboard that can be uh, reviewed. Well, the, the beautiful thing is you have this centralized environment with this type of logging native to it. Uh, you know, why not? Why, why not get this type of stuff that you may not have had uh, insight into uh, in your previous on-premises data center? Exactly. And like Citrix, things like Citrix performance analytics, you know, do a great job in like quantifying the user experience, but there's still like some of the admin side of that, right? Like, hey, I need to make sure like other supporting infrastructure components that might Citrix might be dependent on, but might not be directly integrated into. I want to make sure like those are actively monitored. So even if you have like Citrix, say soup to nuts between, you know, Citrix tools, third parties, Azure monitored, you know, end to end, if like underlying supporting systems 
don't have that same level of insight, you know, and there's a, a failure there, it might impact an app or it might impact the availability of Citrix. I, had a, I have a customer who had a, a storage array issue uh, and that took down like a key portion of like their applications, which then impacted their Citrix environment. So like even like knowing about log analytics for those like underlying systems that are, you know, dependencies of that desktop, for example, it's still a great tool that can be used to get like your core, like I said, your core infrastructure. So Kevin, have we covered this section I have here and then yep. ready to move on to... Yeah, so the next piece is the alerting. It's almost impossible. You got so much content here. It's awesome. <laughs> I know. I, I gotta like split it all out. And like what's crazy too, it's like I learned like just so much, like more and more and more. I had to like when I started writing this, I had to prevent myself from doing like a fifth one. Um, just it was just like I gotta like close it out, right? Uh, but getting into like Azure Monitor, um, where I really wanted to focus on was like using like Azure Monitor in a way to, again, capture metrics that are additive. So like thinking of, you know, going to some of the previous webinars we had around creating like a tiered services model. So like, let's use director utilization data. I can break out of my on-prem paradigm where I got a, you know, a CPU overcommit ratios. I have a certain number of BDI per host to like maximize performance. When you get to cloud, you can like break through that, right? Like, um, especially, you know, partners such as yourself having like opportunities to kind of really sit with customers and let them like rethink their on-prem sizing to better take advantage of a cloud paradigm. And like, so when I get into Azure Monitor, it's really kind of more so focusing on how can you use Azure Monitor to drive something like burstable compute. So thinking of like on-prem, if you have a hundred users with VDI, all 100 users might have the same amount of resources, but they're not using them the same, right? You're going to have people that sit on the higher uh, echelon, like the higher percentile of a bell curve of like CPU utilization that might be eating all of it up. They're using the four CPU they're given. They're maximizing it. Maybe they could go even more. Hey, let's maybe size them up higher. People in like the middle of that bell curve, perfect, they're sized okay. But people on the lower side, hey, I need to keep my CPU over commit ratios. I want it to be 100 VDI per host. I want to keep things consistent because it makes it easier for me to manage. What you could do is those people in the lower realm, uh, like the lower percentile percentile of like current state performance utilization, why not give them like a more of a tiered service model and put them on something like burstable compute because they're only using compute you know, every so often they're like opening up a large Excel, it's spiking and then maybe they're mostly using memory. It's a great way to drive down single session BDI costs, which I think, you know, not a lot of people are aware of because there is risk, right? If you use your credits, you know, CPU performance crashes and you get throttled, but uh, you can use things like Azure Monitor to monitor against that and, uh, you know, use it to like make sure if, hey, people are over consuming, I can resize their VMs. Uh, or if no one is like, perfect, I save my costs, potentially cut them in half. And like, I can still meet my needs when it comes to like my user community. So I kind of walk through a scenario and uh, talk about how you can use Azure Monitor to mitigate risk for it. Now there is still risk. Like obviously you don't want to put things like multi-session machines in burstable compute that creates a ton of risk for end users that are sharing that VM. But in a single session scenario, especially when you can get historicals see what they're using, monitor for it and adjust, especially with public cloud. I think it's something everyone should take a look at because there's definitely use cases uh, where it makes sense and it can really drive down costs. 
Yeah, that would that would, that just sounds interesting to watch in a multi-session environment with burstable scenarios. <laughs> That's like uh, you got like the noisy neighbor then really can impact everybody in that scenario. Yeah. Not, not that you should do it, but it sure would be an interesting experiment. Yeah. And this is kind of where like WEM too, especially like thinking of like Citrix and Microsoft, like burstable compute. Hey, you hit a threshold where look, okay, I'm, I'm gaining credits. I pass a threshold. I start consuming credits. And then using something like, you know, Workspace Environment Manager, or if you're like Avanti shop using something like Avanti Performance Manager, um, you can then drive, for example, like, okay, I want to throttle that CPU if it's, you know, maybe spiking for no reason and I want to trap down the performance, you can use those, those tools, for example, to kind of make Burstable more realistic as well, especially if there are a couple apps that shouldn't be pulling CPU performance and because uh, they're not really additive to the user experience, you want to throttle it back. There's ways you can use the tools synergistically as well to make Burstable more realistic uh, for the organization too. If there's a few apps that might create additional risk. So Kevin, you lay out a couple of uh, other resources here to uh, to use to get more information around the Azure framework. Um, you know, what what else could be learned, right? Yeah, exactly. And that's kind of where like there's a lot of great tools, and I kind of reached out to you know mentors and friends on the Microsoft side and got a couple suggestions. But effectively, I mean, you could have spent one on by no means like Microsoft or like uh, you know their representation, but thinking of like great tidbits I pulled in my journey learning Azure. There's a lot of great guys that they have, especially if you know, people listen to this blog, it's like, hey, I'm, I'm a platform team, I'm doing Citrix today, but I might be using Azure for other solutions uh, in the future. Uh, they have a lot of great guides that talks about like a management baseline, a cloud monitoring guide for things like PaaS services or storage, as well as a, like a, a GitHub that has like a lot of scripts and ways to use Azure monitoring solutions in greater depth. So I want to at least kind of give everyone you know a link when it comes to like a reference to so get check it out. And then you uh, you kind of wrap up here with you know don't stop here keep keep reading there's more coming from Citrix Tips there's more more coming from you more coming from your peers what's what's the best way for people to keep up with what you guys have coming out other than you know this podcast series yeah so I would say obviously podcasts uh, Andy you've done a, a great job and I always enjoy partnering with you whenever kind of bring some of that out there to to bring it to the masses but uh, for for here it's like clouds always evolving so it's one of the things where like taking you know, this four-part blog series, if, it, what, it's, if it's what introduces you to the cloud adoption framework, check it out, like read it in its entirety. Um, I like to compare it to like the, the Citrix Zen desktop handbook we made back in the day for like 7.15 or like Citrix Tech Zone in terms of being a great consolidated summary of methodology. Uh, our you know, plat strategic platforms team, our consulting team, we're always rolling out like new articles and best practices and white papers around Azure infrastructure. I think we actually just released one recently about um, Azure files performance when using things like uh, UPM, for example. That Citrix Tech Zone is a great you know repository for those types of white papers. And I think uh, you know one, I, I probably should eventually move a lot of this con blog content uh, into that and build upon it. Um, but that's something where you know even before then, like going through Tech Zone and seeing you know where Citrix fits with WVD and how we can drive like further enhancement and value for customers. A lot of that's all within uh, that tech zone page. I think the, a lot of our tech specialists were like, hey, we got to try to drive consolidation here when it comes to like great content. And that's where we're starting to put a lot of good you know, learnings and things along those lines. Yeah. So Kevin, should we expect more of this or less of this from you in your new role? 
I would say uh, uh, probably a little bit. And then also, you know, me you know, having an opportunity to collaborate with more folks, you know, members of my team, you know, members of you know, other teams within Citrix. I know for me, it's Azure is always a passion point. So whether it be conferences, I know I presented at uh, CUGC you know, Central, uh, the Central event recently on Azure. I think it's uh, been such a great way of driving my career when it comes to, you know, talking through it. I probably will never stop. But uh, hopefully now I'm in a great position to collaborate with a lot more folks and you know, put something together with my team as well. So I intend that you know, working in the market, building the brand and kind of continue to help people learn about Citrix so they can get more out of it is definitely one of our charters. So there'll definitely be a lot of blogs and, and, yeah. and such coming from the team. All right. We'll look forward to seeing more from you and, and really more from your team as as you lead them towards doing uh, this type of effort. I appreciate your uh, appreciate you joining us today. Yeah, Andy, thank you so much for having me. It's always fun. So if uh, next time I post something, you know, feel free to reach out. I'd love to do another one of these. All right, sir. Thank you very much. No problem.